Hello and welcome back to the Holtcast. It's time to go over Aston Villa's 1-0 loss to Wolves on Saturday at Villa Park. Well, well, Villa fans, uh, another loss in the books uh, leaves many of us wondering what's next and if there's any chance for survival going into the last six games of the season. And again, welcome back to the Holtcast. Of course, it's not just me here by myself. I do have someone else aside from Danny. Danny has the day off today, and that being Neil Dunsworth. Neil, how are you doing, my friend? I'm very good. Um, uh, well, I'm as good as I can be, uh, considering that we're not picking up the points at the rate that I want us to pick them up <laughs> in the Premier League at the moment. But um, no, uh, things are good over here in Ireland. The weather is fantastic. So at least there's that plus point uh, for that that part of my day today. Well, yeah, I guess take that as uh, as it is. <laughs> but yeah, let's let's get into it, Neil, because you'll see a lot of things on Twitter yesterday. Personally, I just kind of blocked out Twitter after the game because yeah. it's just negative nonsense. You have the whole Dean Smith out brigade. You have the let's uh, drop Jack Grealish brigade. You have basically uh, the John Terry or some other manager is going to come over and fix everything in six games brigade as well. So there's just a lot of unrealism, um, a lot of rumors going around about Dean Smith being at the door soon. Um, and all, of course, this all stems from the result yesterday, a 1-0 loss to Wolves. Dundonker getting the match winner in the 62nd minute. Um, and really, if we're going right to that goal, it all be all starts because of Adama Traore. He comes on the pitch within three minutes. And Neil, he basically just has to do something, put in a shift for three minutes, and that's it. Because besides that, he really didn't do much. Yeah, he had five dribbles in the whole game. Actually, he had the most <laughs> dribbles of anyone uh, in, in, in the game, and he just turned it on for that small piece. I, uh, I'm i perennially frustrated by BT Sport. BT Sport over here in the in, in the UK and in Ireland are... Adam Atrori, through the whole lot of the game, they just talked about him as if he was the next coming of, you know, Pele. It was it was actually it was it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing considering the fact that yes, he's having a good season this year. He was middling last year, and the fact that he played with Villa and shown all these flashes for Villa and uh, in in years previous, but still at the same end product. It's just because he's been linked to Liverpool. I found that unbelievably frustrating that they they just didn't for the whole game stop talking about Adama Traore as and they overly overinflated his his um his ability. But he did come on. He did get get down our um he did get he did get down get down the channels and he did basically play that ball in for Dundonker. And uh my own view on that is if you if you listen to any of our podcasts, whenever we're talking about it, I think the the shuffling of the pack that Dean Smith did recently in in putting two up front is here's another reason why Dan Dunker has the ball at the edge of the area and why he's able to take the shot and get it away as it is. But um, yeah, he's I don't matter. I I'm I'm still not buying the hype. If you know what I mean, I think he's yeah. a very flash in the panish and um. While he did come on and he did do strutty stuff against Villa uh, for that short period of time, I'm still not buying the hype machine with him at the moment. Yeah, and like, I don't want this to be a down on Triori thing because let's be honest, he'll probably make another big move here eventually. Yeah. Um, a lot of people linking him automatically to Liverpool, but in my opinion, he's still a utility man. He's still 
uh, he's getting more aspects to his game, but he's still pretty one-dimensional in the sense that he just runs down the wing and causes trouble. Adding some more skill into that, I'll give him that. I'm not going to ever say he's terrible because, hell, I would take him right now. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. a lot of teams would. Um, but no, I, th- I think it speaks to the volume of our defense, how it cracks within three minutes of a player like that coming on. And as we kind of had a little chit-chat before the whole uh, recording started, Neil, you were saying that basically as soon as uh, Target came off, Taylor came on, and then Traore came on, it was basically game over. He can't cope with that pace, and he, his man-marking at this point of career is a little off the pace. And with that Dendonker goal, if you look at the gap between the center backs, and yeah. <laughs> That's the main part that bugs me, and that's what basically happened against Newcastle. It's ball watching off a a harmless throw in, and obviously this one wasn't a throw in, but just a harmless ball in, and it should be something that is scooped out of there, no problem. But not even a left back can pick up on that and kind of cut that space out. And in my opinion, that's their job, and I think that speaks to the team in a whole because when you look at it, we're just it's almost like when we come under too much pressure at once, we instantly crack. And I I don't want to be too critical because it's four games in 11 days. And for any professional footballer, that is a hell of a lot. And it's expecting a lot of these players after what, three plus plus months off. I I should be right on saying that maybe a hundred or so more days. It's a lot to expect. And I think this week coming up, being not playing till next Saturday is going to be kind of a, a fresh breath to a lot of these players, uh, maybe a little bit of a reset, not that our, our running gets any easier. But I think the biggest kind of takeaway from this game is that it's two dead tired teams. You could easily tell there was really nothing into it. Like, for example, if I go to the stats on this on my screen here and scroll up, like I think it was we had one shot on or yeah, one shot on target to their two. Um, we had 10 off target to their seven off target, two corners apiece. Um, I think if anything speaks loudly, it was 16 fouls to their 13. You can tell how dead tired players are because they just can't keep yeah. up. And I think a lot of people have looked at our possession since coming back. This game, I think, what, it was 53 Wolves, 47 us. So we're, statistically speaking, we're kind of marginalizing those gaps, albeit the Chelsea results kind of an outlier. But we're shrinking those down. But as we've talked about a million times before, it's the it's the finished product. And I know you're not a fan, Neil, of the two up top. So if you want to get into that and kind of vent your frustrations, I would love to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not that I'm not a fan of it. I just don't think it cures all that ails us at the moment. Um, I, I can see and I completely understand why Dean Smith is reluctant to do it. And um, when I saw the team sheet yesterday, I was I was still happy because I thought I, I presumed that Keenan Davis was going to play out wide, um, and it didn't really happen that way. They played very central himself and Sabata, and they played almost 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 like a traditional four four two. Even though it was uh, it was a bit condensed in the middle when when we look at where the 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 wingers played or the two wide midfielders, should I say? But um, with regards to playing two up front and just one up front. Um, if you had asked me before COVID-19 struck, what did Villa need to do to stay in the Premier League? It was 100% stop conceding so many so many uh, shots, even from outside the box, because you can only stay lucky for so long. Stop conceding goals, get tighter at the back, tighten up our back four. And we've done that. 
Um, we, we've done that by every metric available. We have been able to do that. We've gone from, I think it was 19th in the league from the amount of um, around the shots that we've given away and we're up to like 17th. So obviously that's only a four game stretch, but we are climbing with regards to that. And I think that's very much solely down to the fact that we figured out how to play with three in midfield. It mightn't have been pretty. It actually wasn't mm. pretty. And it wasn't no. very creative. <laughs> and that's where the issue was. But what it was doing was it was stopping people from being able to run down the channels between our centre halves. You mentioned that we had a big gap between our two centre halves yesterday. And um, that ball comes to Dendonker. And yes, there is a man on the edge of the area. But if you've got three in midfield, he doesn't have that opportunity to be able to take that step to the right or to the left um, as easily as he does. Uh, I still... I, I would like to look back at the goal again. Uh, I'm not 100% sure that Nyland actually fully gets across his goals enough. So when the ball is is played in from the wide from the wide position and it's played into the dunker, I think Nyland is slow to get across his goal and, and, and he just isn't inspiring any confidence in me at the moment. <laughs> nope. <laughs> uh, not even with, with that pass to, to, I can't remember who it was, was it Johnny? And, uh, it, was just, it was just shocking. But... Uh, with, but going back to the to the two up top one a top piece and that's that's why we're seeing the best of Douglas Louise at the moment he had um Conor Horahan and, and John McGinn or even the Camba and and Horahan is, is is who he would have had in there with him and they've been stopping those runs coming down the channels in between center halves or even in between the center the center halves and the the fullbacks we are giving away a lot of ground for crosses at the moment um like Wolves played nearly fifty percent of their of their attacking um, attacks, should I say, came down their right hand side. So they attacked our left hand side. So as I said, target goes off, and they basically just targeted, if you'll excuse the pun, Neil Taylor. But the biggest thing that I found for me in yesterday's game was the target going off really kind of, for want of a better word, it kind of castrated our attack because we didn't have that overlap. Neil Taylor just isn't able to do it. Didn't have that overlap on the left-hand side. And we rely an awful lot on that for um, for getting attacks down the left-hand side with Matt Target. Whether it's Grealish, whether it's Conor Horahan, um, we rely on Matt Target almost getting to the to the base, uh, to the the base end line and, and, um, and crossing the ball in. And we just didn't see enough of that. We couldn't get that going at all because there was no overlap on the, on the left-hand side. And, you know, Target... He, he at times I've been pretty vocal against him and I've at times I've been very very um full of praise for him as well but I think that the drop from target to Neil Taylor was just immeasurable yesterday and um and I think that that was one of one of the bigger reasons as to why we just couldn't get anything going from a creative point of view Ali Samata has been very poor since we've come back he just hasn't gotten anything he doesn't look like he's got any, any confidence when he gets the ball he tries to he tries to maybe take it wide an awful lot, which is really strange. He doesn't seem like he's comfortable in fronting up a defender. He has to kind of almost try and run around him, which doesn't look like it's it's his strength. And uh, it's I, I don't know how we're going to play him into into some form with the limited amount of games left. And I do, and as we saw yesterday, putting someone up beside him, he actually had less touches of the ball yesterday when he had somebody up beside him. So. You know, it's 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 one of those things. Wolves didn't play us off the field yesterday, 
but we couldn't play ourselves into contention yesterday either because we just had nothing to offer going forward. Um, if we got a nil-all draw, I would probably be here singing uh, praise of Dean Smith's tactical ability and we would have obviously another point in our basket again, but we don't and that's the fine margins. Um, that's the fine margins where we are and why we're in the relegation battle that we're in. Yeah, I think I think that's the interesting thing too because realistically, Neil, if we would have gotten a point, we're out of the relegation zone. Like, and you'll still have your criticisms of, well, that's only one point. We need three to have more of a gap between us and that bottom three pack. But at the same time, you're still out of it for the time being. Of course, that would have been reliant and still is reliant um, in terms of what happens going into the next game um, when everyone else around us still has to uh, make up a game. And that's going to be interesting, too, because you have to look at it and think like, well, heck, if no one else picks up any points, we're going into another week. The uh, Basically, the whole total of points you probably need to stay up goes down again. And that looks good and just as good as us for any other team as well. But kind of going on to the uh, two-striker um, thought that uh, you previously had, I think, yeah, like losing target was kind of the main hindrance there. You'd think easily lots of crosses in the box with two up top, two physical strikers. And instantly, as soon as that happens, you're basically relying on Davis to hold the ball up well enough to either a play Samata through throw through ball, which he just doesn't seem keen to make runs. He, he, he seems very one dimensional. It's basically, he wants boxes or balls into the air off his head. And that's basically mm. it. He kind of has a very average holdup game and his, his movement, like you said, it's very strange for a striker who's not the quickest. Like, why are you going out wide? And I think as soon as target goes off, it basically puts all the onus on the midfield to carry the ball up and to make opportunities through the middle of the, f- the field and to basically find gaps that essentially we couldn't find. And I tweeted this out yesterday because I don't know how many um, half breaks we had, but it was it basically be someone like Douglas Louise uh, sprinting up the pitch with the ball. But then it instantly he has to go so slow because there's no option. So yeah. as soon as we're probably past the byline he's just recycling the ball again and we're so slow at moving the ball around you are not going to penetrate any side in the Premier League by going that slow like all you're doing is moving the ball around the perimeter of the whole pitch and all the whole Wolves back line doesn't even have to move like they're literally regaining energy and taking a breath by us moving the ball around because mm. we're so lethargic and slow at it. There's no penetration. Like I, I think my biggest gripe with with the whole situation was if you're gonna play target, then why aren't you playing Elmo as well if you're gonna play two up top? Because Elmo has Agreed. great crossing ability. Albeit I think there is some gripe going on between him and Smith because there was a camera angle and I couldn't tell if Elmo was giving it to Smith or the refs because they're right beside each other. But it doesn't seem like those two are getting along and I think that's evident by Kanza starting. But I'm thinking if that's the case, put that aside. Put your best two ball crossers in there um, in the defensive line and it would instantly give us more opportunity. And yes, if target goes off, at least that gives Elmo more opportunity to whip those balls in because... Kanz is a decent defender. He is a great center back. He can do the small things well. He's still learning his craft and all that kind of stuff. But he's not a right back. And he's not a great crosser of the ball. So you're instantly putting the onus on, okay, we're going to defend this out, which obviously we didn't, resulting in zero points. And it's kind of where we are now. But yeah, if we kind of move on from that, I, I can't really give anyone a man of the match, a match ball, whatever you want to call it, because 
this game was just there was nothing in it. It really could have been any like any half chance could have probably won this game for either side. It was one of those games. And Neil, for looking at it, would you give anyone a match ball? No, probably Douglas Louise gets a pat in the back. All right, I, I don't even think there's no Wolves player that I would give a match ball to either. I think it was just a poor game of football. Uh, before the game, I was very vocal about if you keep uh, Raúl Jiménez quiet, that you know we have a chance of getting something from this game. I always thought we would lose this game, and and I want to kind of I want to be kind of upfront and honest about this. I, of all the games we've left, I thought that this one was the only sure sure loss in that in that time period because of all the different parameters and intangibles that the others game other games will have. Obviously Liverpool winning the league now. Do they come out all guns blazing? Do they try and chase records? I would imagine with a guy like Klopp at the helm that they will try and do that, but you just can't be sure. Um so this game I thought was going to be a fire I, I thought it was actually going to be a better game number one because of, it would be some sort of a local derby. But um, this is the first time that Wolves have ever done the the double over Villa in the Premier League. So it was um it kind of just goes to show the gulf between the two the two teams. Uh, like I, then Donker gets man of the match from a lot of outlets because of his goal, but you know we nullified an awful lot of their play as well at the same time. Uh, what we didn't do, and we kind of made a bit of a hero out of him, was Connor Cody playing center center half. Um, still got on an awful lot of the ball, was able to spray it from that that central back three position, and we just didn't put enough pressure on him. And when you look at heat maps from like Keenan Davis, who would have been perfect because of the size mismatch to go in there and stand on him and, and just make it difficult for him to play the ball out. Uh, we didn't do that. And looking at where Keenan Davis was, he was all across the back, the front uh, the front uh, line. He didn't stay central. He wasn't, you know, it was like as if both players were given, himself and Samata, were given the opportunity to roam around and, and to try and maybe run in between defenders, which... I don't think was the correct tactic if that was the situation because it kind of makes it very easy for Wolves and you know the way Wolves are going to play there. He's pivotal to play the ball out from there. But there wasn't a standout player. You know, Diego, Diego Hata didn't do very much for them. Um, Johnny was okay. Ruben Neves and, and Jean Moutinho were, they got in the ball a, a lot. Uh, Matt Doherty got in the ball a lot as well. You know, so they did what I expected them to do, but I don't think either team had any standout player. It was a pretty poor game of football, I think. Yeah, and I, I think this is interesting too, because if you think about it, Wolves have basically been playing with this side since last July. Mm-hmm. They've they started the Europa League campaign then. So They've been playing a lot of football. It just kind of look like it's great advertisement for a podcast to say a game was boring, but there's just it's <laughs> two teams that have essentially played four games in a short period of time. But if we'll kind of I'll go kind of uh, go over some of the uh, Twitter thoughts here and maybe we'll discuss some of them. Um, so just getting that open, um, our very own uh, 7500 to Holt contributor Phil Vogel uh, st- says, I still think Villa will stay up, but then again I wake up to watch these matches by choice. So what the hell? do i know um you have sid saying even poor players can be coached to defend correctly uh thomas says may as well put two cardboard cutouts up front uh, very stern thoughts there uh chris says we look like a side already already relegated zero threat up front um fpl analytics says it's easier defensively solid um and no attack or an okay attack and no defense we can't win um and we'll get to some more of these in a moment here uh, but i'll kind of finish this one off by smithy uh saying we're very predictable now there was a comment in here if i can find it about about jack Grealish, because 
a lot of people are saying even he's not uh, one that we can or we should he's basically one we should consider dropping if I can get it out of my mouth correctly um, and I wish I could find that tweet because it's quite interesting but we'll uh, we'll let you go off on this one Neil because I think it's a load of crap to be honest like who are you going to play instead Henry Lansbury like they're <laughs> dropping your best player is not going to solve the issue. Uh, one of the worst things about Twitter is that everybody's a mouthpiece, whether it be for good or for bad, whether it be for the adulation that people can't seem to get in real life. And uh, I don't know. I haven't seen this tweet. And actually, this sounds really, really bad because I don't know that person that put it in there and I don't know uh, anything about them. So I'm not directing that directly at that person. But it's... Uh, you know, I I don't know. I don't think that Jack Grealish is is the problem. Like if Jack Grealish, if Jack Grealish is is a problem, I don't know what the what the question is. You know, I don't know what what the question is. If 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 Jack Grealish is a problem, is the answer because he's the only one that can carry the ball forward for us. You mentioned that we don't have any pace in this team, and when we did yesterday bring on Anwar Anwar Gazi and Trezeguet, they are quote what I've liked to term them, they should be our change of pace players. Trezeguet gets one touch of the ball. You know, El Ghazi comes on, he gets 11 touches of the ball. So, like, Jack Grealish is universally thought of as a very creative, attacking-minded, stylish player that can make something out of nothing. You can't, He can't do it all on his own. This isn't even like the early 2000s Liverpool where, um, where Steven Gerrard was able to take it by the scruff of his neck and run forward. The game isn't played like that anymore. You know, the level of the game isn't mm-hmm. played like that anymore. If people are expecting Jack Grealish to do that, he has. He did it against United this year. He was bloody outstanding. And he's done it in a couple of games this year. Or McGinn has done it in a couple of games this year. But to do it week in, week out, um, is it's just not it's not sustainable when you've got poor quality in other areas of the field. For me, he's undroppable. He's a club captain. He's, he's our saleable asset. You don't be putting... Uh, uh, like and, and I don't mean it as in we definitely should be getting rid of him, but you don't drop him and give people the opportunity to talk negatively about him anymore just for the sake of trying to shake something up. He's our best player. We play our best players. If we don't want to, if you think that taking off our most creative player is going to make us some way more creative, well, then you need to have a very good backup argument to that. And for me, I just haven't seen it yet. No, like it just doesn't make any sense to me. I won't. I found the uh, the tweet. I won't read the name out because I don't want to put uh, scrutiny on somebody. But he basically just says Jack is finished, already gone in his head. He's offering nothing in four games other than slowing play down in, in offensive areas. Thirty two points top for the season. I think that's harsh because if you look at it since the restart, I can't really judge anyone in the first game. If you look at him and McGinn, McGinn's just coming back from injury. They're well, McGinn's probably what six plus months off. Jack's three or so months off. It's kind of hard for any player just to to kind of expect anything spectacular from somebody. And then you're playing another three games within what, like nine or so days. Like that's a lot of toll. And he's basically, I don't think he was really subbed off on any of those if I'm thinking correctly. So you're basically playing full four, uh, full, full matches. And mm-hmm. what do you expect? Like these players are dog tired. You can see that from everyone on the pitch yesterday on both sides. It's it's hard to expect the spectacular and for him to carry a team, which I still think is way too much for one player to do, like especially when he's expected to play 
out wide and he's not a wide player. It's it's a lot to put on one player, and especially when you, I think a lot of people put pressure on McGinn instantly when he come came back because they're thinking, oh, we have John McGinn of old back. He's just going to yeah. go and score a goal like he did that. at the start of the game like Spurs. It, it just doesn't happen like that. He's beyond off the pace, and it's not really his fault. He's been thrown into a situation to basically – uh, refined old form in an instant and it's it's not fair um there was another comment here too if i can find it as well um matthew saying i will give um, them that four games in 11 days at restart is ridiculous after that set pieces have no surprise and are flat 30 to 40 yard passes are getting us nothing uh haas is the only one that can get ahead on the ball and we can't mm. get a ball in the box if life was in the balance and I think that speaks a lot because I don't think there was an issue. Like I personally, and we kind of you already talked about this, Neil, but I didn't have a problem with the formation yesterday. I think it's some of the personnel because if you had Gilbert back fully healthy, he's slotting in there. That is without a doubt. If you're looking at your center back pairing, Angles is probably in there as well. Um, that adds another extra aerial threat besides Mings. Um, it also offers an opportunity to bring Haas on later when he has some more energy and can probably be a little bit more physical um, mm-hmm. in the box as well if we're going for it. And hopefully, if that was the case, Target doesn't get injured as well. And that result could be... These last four games could have been completely different. We don't know. I'm not going to blame this all on injuries, even though we've been a little unlucky with that and VAR and a million other things this season. But... I think it's one of those things, Neil, that we're just running out of time. So people are looking at the smallest amount of things and they're going to blame it on that. Because the thing I want to talk about now before we uh, get off in a few minutes here would be the whole Dean Smith out nonsense. We're not going to focus too much on Wolves because we've kind of went over it within five seconds. We all know what happened. It's just one of those games we have to move on from. This whole Dean Smith out thing, and I, I kind of had a conversation with someone yesterday about it, is the most BS thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, are you going to go to John Terry? Is he going to work magic? No. I highly doubt it. Are you going to find a manager for the last six, probably five games realistically, because he wouldn't probably have any input and next week and, and him have an impact? No. We're basically stuck with what we have. So you either go with Dean Smith, in my opinion, for the rest of the season – and you ride it out there, and then you reassess at that point if he's the man going forward, or you just give up at this point because there's no other solution that I can see that's going to fix this. Because a lot of people are saying, oh, he's lost the dressing room, players don't respect him, and you're going to have a few players there, maybe some older players, and that's that's expected for every team. Not every player is happy with a manager. That's impossible. Like at any level of football it could be um kids to adults it doesn't matter not everyone's going to get along with the coach manager whatever it's just life not everyone gets along but neil i want to get your thoughts on that because i just i just don't understand it and again it's just another twitter thing where people are taking off with their imagination it's yeah it's a complete timing thing and when you bring up the argument is you know why would we do it now the counter argument people come back with was well we should have done it at christmas time but yet a lot of people were, were applauding the fact that Dean Smith was given a four-year contract ex- contract extension uh, at Christmas time, in and around Christmas time, because we were doing all right. We didn't, yep. we weren't on a massive slump. Well, we we'd had a couple of bad uh, results and so on, but um, look, 
for this for the next six games, it would be absolute madness to bring in to to get rid of uh, Dean Smith and bring in another manager. You hear names, the names that you hear are so uninspiring. Like Big Sam, no, thank you. It's just like once again, he's not he's not the answer. Uh, no. and, and you know you have to be pretty uh, almost nearly even aggressive about that. Big Sam hasn't he's not the answer. Um, you hear him. He does. He doesn't even speak very well about Aston Villa, you know. And any any time he speaks about him, you hear him on Talksport or anything like that. He's just he's he's kind of descended down the down the road of of being almost like controversial in a lot of what he says. Um, I don't know who you would bring in. There isn't there isn't anyone that I can think of that even springs to mind. Uh, do you bring in? I don't know. I actually genuinely can't think of anyone. Benitez. Yes, that's the issue. Um, do you bring in P- Tony Pulis? <laughs> do you bring in Harry Redknapp? Uh, Harry likes a good job. Come on. <laughs> Harry Redknapp definitely won't manage Aston Villa. He hates no. us more than everybody. Um, yeah. And plus, you know, most recently being at Blues and so on. But it's, yeah, like, who do you bring in? What, what do people do? I remember I had a, a discourse with somebody on, online about, I said, why don't we bring in Ronald Coleman for the last 10 games, I think it was at the time, and he could split his job half between the Dutch national team and half between Aston Villa. And I was like, so we're a part-time, we want a part-time manager over Dean Smith. Is, 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 is this yeah. what's happening? You know, so... <laughs> I don't know. It is it is one of these things that there is. I just think it's just it's so counterproductive. The league will be over in two and a half weeks' time. Exactly. And you can't bring somebody in to do a, a job for two and a half weeks. Let's let's cast our mind back to 2007. Was it 2007, 2008 when Newcastle got relegated and they brought in Alan Shearer for the last seven games, mm-hmm. thinking that his cult hero status would be a bounce for the team, and it didn't work out. There's, there's no, there is, I'm not gonna say there's no, but I would be pretty, pretty certain that there's very little, if any, precedent for bringing somebody in for five games to try and keep a team up. Yeah, like to me, the only way you're gonna bring someone in is if they're taking over for next season, because mm. very rarely has in the history of this game has there ever been a manager to come in for a few games, save a team, and leave. Like I can't even. There's there's probably been a few, but I cannot think of anybody. And David I think Moyes, the, I think was the last. I think David Moyes did it with uh, was it with Sunderland or was it with West Ham before? Um, oh, true. Yeah, like there's what, very fine examples. But I think the other thing too is like the, with all the whole coronavirus pandemic and stuff like that. Like a lot of things are impacting the football marketplace and economy like it's gonna in my opinion that even makes it harder to find a manager that's a willing to probably leave their home right now and potentially risk their health like there's so many variables like extra variables that would go into even attempting to replace a manager at this point in the season due to all this pandemic stuff Mm -hmm. like it's just in my opinion we're 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 stuck with what we have we have to make do with the best we can and just kind of push on from there because if you really, if you look at the the four results, like 
we're we're in every game basically like it, it's not unrealistic like obviously the Sheffield United one was a lucky point we'll take it Newcastle I'm proud of because we worked our way back to at least get a draw I'll take that it shows some fight and to be honest although like the Chelsea game was 2-1 like we had an opportunity at the the last gasp moment with uh Jota to get a goal like it, we're not, it's not like we're impossibly out of this we're losing every game like 3-0 because mm. if you're gonna really look at a team in the Premier League that's absolutely dead and buried it's only really Norwich at this point everyone else still has something to play for but uh, you know what, Neil? Let's wrap it up there. We've been going on for 30 minutes, and I aimed for 20. But uh, in normal Holtcast fashion, we never finish on time. Uh, thank you very much, sir, for joining me. If you'd be ever so kind, uh, feel free to uh, plug anything you'd like right now. Yes, thanks very much for asking me to come on again. It was uh, only a short time since my last visit, and I, I'd be you know more than happy to talk Aston Villa at any at any time. Yeah, you can catch any of my stuff on Twitter at Mac for the love of that's M C F O R T H E L O V E O F. And to be honest with you, if anybody has a better uh, handle, a better name, please tell me it because it's too <laughs> it's too difficult to keep spelling that out in every podcast. Um, oh, you can find me. our own podcast on uh, For the Love of Paul McGrath podcast as well if you guys want to listen to myself and Paddy, two Irish guys ramble at times about Aston Villa too. Um, so that's really where you can find any of my stuff. Brilliant. Well, like usually sometimes I'll do like the outro outside of the podcast and like just mm-hmm. on my own. Because it sounds a little bit crisper. And yeah, trying to read your thing, it was uh, like a three-take <laughs> attempt. So uh, no, I love your Twitter handle. It's uh, it's great. But of course, if you guys want to fo- uh, follow me, it's at TalkAstonVille on Twitter. Get involved with us on Twitter as well, at 7500 to Holt. Um, so yeah, do that as well. Email us at uh, HoltCastPod at gmail.com. And we'll wrap it up there. Thank you very much for listening. And don't forget, up the villa. Up the villa.